It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. The Cincinnati Bengals will fall to 1-13 and in Week 15 against the New England Patriots. The, court, the score currently is 34-13. to The game hasn't finished yet because the fourth quarter here is taking about 20 minutes for the last two minutes of game time, I think. And Joe's got to go to work, so we're getting started a little bit early. The game started out interesting. It started out close. The Patriots did march down the field on their first possession, but then the Bengals came back and showed a very, very good running game for the first half. They started throwing the ball a little bit more in the second half, and Andy Dalton promptly threw three, four interceptions in the third and fourth quarter, and the game quickly got out of hand, Joe. Yeah, I thought the game plan was actually really good. The scripted plays, the idea, the you know everything you build within the week to go out there and show in those first two drives – Really good by the Bengals offensively and defensively. Despite the first drive being a touchdown for the Patriots, I thought they pressured Tom Brady. I thought they made throws a little bit harder than they needed to be, and they played the run pretty well. On offense, they came out with a lot of three tight end sets, a lot of big guys extra uh, tight to run the ball, and it worked. They ran the ball down the field, and when they threw it, they had to th- they had to throw it short, and they they were fine. It wasn't until those first two drives happened. They got 10 points. It's a 10-10 game at one point. You felt like that was it for them, and they ran out of all their tricks. And it was going to be up to Andy Dalton to make plays and lead this offense, and he just could not do it. One of his worst performances in the regular season on a 1 o'clock game in a long time. Yeah, the Bengals couldn't get it going at all in the second half, and a lot of that you can point directly to Andy Dalton. Four interceptions. And the Bengals really weren't helped either by a pretty pivotal call toward the end of the first half where Alex Erickson was ruled to have fumbled a punt, but on replay it seemed pretty clear that New England gunner Matthew Slater got there a little bit early, had his hand around the waist of Erickson, and Erickson just couldn't bring the ball in. And they did go review it. They were just reviewing the fumble at that point because you can't review kick-catch interference. And the call stood on the field. The Patriots go in and score some points before halftime instead of the Bengals getting a chance to score points and get the ball back right after halftime. And the rules expert that came on the broadcast said that was not a penalty because he was blocked by a Bengals defender into Alex Erickson. So uh, I agree with you. I thought it was. And then when they showed the replay and then he said that, I kind of was like, "Eh, whatever. It doesn't end up mattering too much. But I also disagree with the Mike Pereira comment there it doesn't matter if you're being blocked if you stick your arm out and hit the the receiver of a punt early 
I thought he was going to bat for the officials a little bit there, and it should have been a penalty. But again, like I said, it doesn't end up mattering because the Bengals come out of halftime and go interception, pick six, three and out, interception, and eventually end up going for another three and out and interception later in the half. They had a really bad onside kick. They had a takeaway that was called back because the Bengals had three penalties on the play, including a holding in the hands to the face. So things just weren't going the Bengals' way in the second half in the game. Got out of hand very quickly. Final score, 34-13 to in favor of the Patriots. And this was a very winnable game for the Patriots, even though they clinched the playoff spot with this win. Tom Brady was barely over 50% passing. I thought he was particularly bad to start the game, those first handful of drives. The reason I thought the Patriots offense was limited was because Brady missed some open throws. He ends up being 15 of 29, just 128 yards passing for Brady, which is very on Brady like, but really he's been like this all year for the most part, and the Pats have figured out how to win despite Tom Brady. They did get their running game going. Uh, Sony Michelle, 89 yards on 19 carries, but the Bengals also were able to run the ball. Joe Mixon, second best career day, 25 carries, 136 yards, 5.4 per carry. Same for Giovanni Bernard with 5 for 27. So again, the running game really works as it has this entire second half of the season, but it doesn't amount to points. I think this is a, a good, like, explanation or an example I should say for the analytics that say running the ball really doesn't matter because it's not uh, turning into points for the Bengals yeah and it's nice to see that the running game is working well but they still have to execute in the red zone and then get into the red zone and if the running game is working the other thing you have to do is is actually call running plays in the second half most of Joe Mixon's production came in the first half in this game had over 80 yards rushing going into halftime and then very quickly, you start throwing interceptions, turning the ball over, and the game gets out of hand. You can't run the ball anymore. So another limitation to a running game is, well, if you get behind the way the Bengals did, 10 points in the second half gets a lot harder to stick with the run. Joe Mixon in this game could have easily surpassed last week's career high in rushing yards, but instead, like you said, finishes with 136 because the game just gets out of hand so quickly when you don't have a complimentary quarterback. Want to wrap up here by giving some props to Tyler Eifert, who at a couple points in this game showed off that 2015 form when Andy Dalton found him down the sideline and in the seam a couple times on some high balls that he went up and hands caught. So nice to see that return to form for Tyler Eifert on the offense as well, but nothing else to really write home about for the offense in this one against a very good defense. They only scored 13 points, and that's not enough to win football games in the NFL. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew 
BlueChew.com. Promo code locked on to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast. The offense, the game plan, again, I thought was really solid. I was surprised after the first two scripted drives were over. I was surprised how little plan they had for the receivers in this game, knowing Stephon Gilmore was such a good defender, probably defensive player of the year, right? And they completely let him shut down this offense, and they kept throwing at him. Uh, I was, first of all, with the game with the game plan of uh, the three tight ends and even two tight ends and split, splitting them out, it kept John Ross off the field for the first three or four drives. And by that point, once they started throwing to Gilmore covering Tyler Boyd, because if you're the Patriots defense, you're not if you're only got to really worry about Tyler Boyd at receiver, of course, Gilmore is going to follow him around. And that's exactly what happened. And the Bengals just had no answer. They kept they tried a couple slants to Erickson. But with the ball placement being all over the place today, it really that's not a guy who's going to get a lot of separation as it is. The ball's got to be thrown really well to him. And it wasn't. So I was surprised by their lack of being able to adjust from that point or just their lack of plan at all. Once Auden Tate went down, maybe this is how they figure they would run their offense with more heavy personnel, more tight ends. But still at the same time, there was so many plays where you come back and just go, why are they just forcing it to Tyler Boyd with Stephon Gilmore draped all over him? And it ended up costing them two big times, one interception, then a pick six by Gilmore. Yeah, and he almost had another interception. The Patriots almost had two other interceptions, one of them on a Tyler Eifert bobble a little bit. He went up, caught the ball high, hit the ground, kind of bounced out. He kicks it up in the air. That one ends up being out of bounds. One of the picks Dalton threw, I thought the guy was out of bounds. I thought his hand came down before the knee. doesn't matter. They they reviewed it. Uh, they said not enough evidence. But the offense just never had a chance in this one, right? I mean, I was impressed with the first half, though. So let's talk about the running game. And there's an article on The Athletic that credited, Zach Taylor credited Jim Turner with a lot of the success of the running game here. So maybe we need to reassess what our thoughts on Jim Turner are as a coach. I thought the pass protection was okay today, not great, especially in the second half when things got out of hand. But they continue to run the ball well. And by all accounts that we've heard, Jim Turner, and we need to investigate this, I think, a little bit more, is the one responsible for some of these changes. Yeah, and the summary of that article basically is on their, the week before the bye week, you know, they're, they're traveling to London to play the Rams. They've got a 13 or 15 hour flight, whatever it was, and they had a lot of time in the hotel because, you know, being there the whole week and, and really different from a regular away game, they're basically sitting in their hotel every night instead of, you know, going out and as it would be a home game uh, or even an away game, you're home for most of those days. Anyways, point being is they had a lot extra time that week and they really looked at a bunch of film and figured out what how to get this offense jump started. And that meant throwing out the entire old playbook and figuring out some new plays from some of these offenses that are able to run the ball and what would fit their personnel, which we talked about before. It's going to take them a while to figure out what they can and can't do with a lot of these guys. Well, it took eight weeks to figure it out. So uh, credit to them for doing that. It's kind of surprising when you do read that, that this stuff doesn't happen more often, that you just don't you know throw out plays that aren't working and really invest on what other teams are doing well and try and create for your own team. But it took the the long flight, the long uh, extra time in in London, and then the coincided with the bye week right after that for really them to hunker down and figure this thing out. And they have, and the running game works. That It just doesn't mean they're going to put up points because of it. I did get one tweet that was something to the effect of Turner came in, Taylor came in, they broke the run game, which worked last year, 
tried yeah. to install something that worked really well for the Rams last year, but then the league has a clear b- blueprint on how to stop. And that's probably something that should be apparent to you coming out of week one against Seattle, right? If if the opposing teams in week one know how to stop your running game, that doesn't bode well for the rest of the season when teams have time to watch tape and adjust and know what you're doing. So Yes, credit to the Bengals for figuring it out, for making adjustments. You do like to see that. You like to see adaptations when things aren't working. But how much credit, right? Because you brought a system that didn't work in the first place. Are you going to try to go back to that after the offseason? Are you going to try to, you know, bring in personnel to make your old scheme work? Are you going to stick with what's working now with the guys you have? So you have to see how that translates year over year. One thing to note, though, I did watch the Rams game from the other night. I can't remember who they beat. That was Seattle, and they played really well. And actually, the Rams were using some of the Bengals' new run plays, and I thought, okay, either they're talking or they thought the same thing the Bengals did, like, oh, okay, yeah, we should throw a few of these out and start doing what, you, what you're what you doing. It's a good way to counteract that five-man front uh, to get those shotgun pitches and, and uh, pin and pull and getting those guys on the outside. So uh, everyone seems to be adjusting. That's just how it works. But uh, I think we should mention also the scores to the Dolphins and the Giants and the Redskins game if you want to go in that route. I think we talk about the defense first and we'll come back and talk about that toward the end of the show and, and give an overview of the draft positioning. Because the defense, I thought, despite the final score being 34-13, to 13, didn't play poorly. Like you said, Tom Brady, 15 for 29, some of that his own issue. But also yeah. the Bengals were getting good pressure early with Carl Lawson. Uh Hubbard had a sack. Carlos Dunlap. Those yep. those three edge rushers all had pretty solid games, especially in the first half. And yes, the Patriots scored 34 points, but how many of those come off turnover? 21 or maybe 14, and then one of them comes after the onside kick. So pretty good game for the defense despite giving up the points. Good pass rush. Secondary played well enough. Who gave up the touchdown to Nikhil Harry? That was B.W. Webb, and it was an off-script play for Brady. He actually had seven seconds to throw. It reminded me of the Joe Burrow versus Georgia play. Remember that one where he's, he's bouncing around for eight seconds yeah. and he throws the, the touchdown pass? It wasn't as long for Brady, but I remember the conversation after that SEC championship uh, play. A lot of people say, well, that never happens in the league, and it's funny we get a direct play uh, right after it that shows it does happen. you got to be willing to, to hold the ball, and your receiver's got to find a way to get open. Good job by Nikhil Area. I thought he had a – a very good day. He was charged with a uh, offensive pass interference. But besides that, he caught that one deep ball that didn't count on a uh, a flinch mm-hmm. by Julian Edelman just before. But they gave him some jet sweeps and stuff. I thought Nikhil Harry was, was really fun. I'm just mentioning this because, Jake, we had him as our wide receiver number one in the draft. Yeah, and he's been a little bit of a late bloomer. He only had two catches for 15 yards on the day because, like you said, his biggest catch didn't end up counting as there was a false start. But everyone on the right side of that offensive play – Continue to play it, and Nikhil Harry made a pretty impressive catch down the sideline there. So good for him, but he is a little bit in John Ross territory for having a very unproductive rookie year. So he's going to need to finish the season strong. He will get a chance to play in the playoffs because he's got the New England Patriots out there, but they continue to struggle to find weapons in the receiving game. Julian Edelman, two catches on five targets. Mohamed Sanu, who they gave up a second round pick for, two catches on eight targets. And their leading receiver, James White, most of those yards come on a little screen that catches the Bengals over pursuing the wrong side of the field, gets some following motion behind the line of scrimmage. And we've seen other teams do this to the Bengals a couple times this year with that kind of come back to the other side misdirection screen. 
And because you mentioned him, John Ross had four targets after not being targeted, I think, at all in the first half. Uh, he caught two passes. One was a nice just comeback route where the receiver bail or the corner bails as he gets up to top speed and he breaks it off real nicely. The other one was a third and one situation speed out. Kind of had to wait for the ball, but luckily uh, caught it and kept feet down. And then the other two was one where they, Dalton just threw it up and there was no one uh, near him. I think it ended up landing out of bounds. The, the final one, the first interception thrown towards John Ross this year, which is kind of notable because they. I think I want to say five interceptions last year were thrown in John Ross's direction. This one was a deep one. He really wasn't open. I think they're giving him a chance. And what a great play on the ball by J.C. Jackson. Actually, he looked like the receiver there, mm -hmm. turning, flipping his hips, finding it, high-pointing it, and then Ross getting blasted by the safety. So uh, just a perfect play on the day, I think, for how the game went. I thought it was a pretty unnecessary hit on John Ross. And given his injury history, I did not like to see that at all. Sure. But it was also a pretty bad throw. I mean, yeah, John Ross did have space there if the ball is delivered accurately down the sideline. Instead, it ends up probably a little bit underthrown and like, it like way, a way inside. Ends up like five yards further inside probably than the throw needs to be. Yeah, if anything, you want to put that more on a line if you can to try and split those that safety from getting over there. Because even if that is, you know, maybe two yards deeper and it lands right on Ross, he's going to get destroyed as soon as he, yeah yeah and you don't you want to avoid that that's why you want that ball to get there a little bit early so he Dalton just hung it up I think he's just trying to make a play there but of course it ends up being the fourth interception of the game yeah not a very good game for Dalton in what is likely one of his last starts he's got he's got one more in Cincinnati most likely in week 17 against the Browns and it looks like the Bengals might need to lose that game let's talk tankathon here in just a minute this Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Watching the CBS pregame show, Jake, I don't know if you saw this. It started making rounds on the internet very quickly after, but uh, uh, Boomer Esiason handing Joe Burrow that that Bengals helmet pretty awkward but at the same time pretty awesome just to see him kind of grab it and go you know I've got two more games left to go but I think you know we're, we are so amped up and pumped up for this after he won the Heisman last night which was a very emotional speech too I don't know if you caught that but uh, I think everyone's all in right now and the Bengals did what they had to do if you're part of the tank group that wants to see him uh, accomplish this goal and they lost today and with that, the Giants handled their business, scoring 36 points on the Dolphins, 36 to 20. That gives the Bengals a two-game lead with two games to go, which means if the Bengals lose one more game, they clinch the first overall pick. Uh, they'd have to win both of these versus Miami versus Cleveland in order to screw this all up. Also of note, the Redskins were leading the Eagles 
late into the fourth quarter. Uh, the Eagles ended up pulling away 37 to 27. So nothing changes on that front, meaning if the Bengals lose both of their or win both of their games and these other teams all find a way to lose, even though the Giants and Redskins play each other next week, it seems like the worst the Bengals can do now is third pick. We can blame the Eagles for this, right? This is two yeah. weeks in a row. The Eagles have won at the last second against the Giants and against Washington. And yeah. if they they just lost those games, like they lost to Miami, thank you for that, by the way, Philly, then the Giants are now 4-11, and Washington is now 4-11, and and then you do worry a little bit about Miami, that's your two-game lead, but the Bengals play Miami, so the only way, like you said, is just one of the next two. That's all you need to do. You're allowed to root for one win yep. and feel totally okay about it. No mixed feelings whatsoever. If you're a Bengals fan that wants to root for wins, period, fine. I don't care. I'm not going to argue with you. That's not what I'm here for. But if you're part of the group that's thinking long-term and you, you just hate rooting for the loss, well, you, you have a little bit of a reprieve potentially coming up here. But this Miami game is still potentially very, very interesting because Miami plays New England in week 17. Right. And unless the Patriots have seeding locked up, and even if they do, I, I have a hard time imagining Miami winning that game. Yeah, me too. So I, I think at the very least, that's the game, right? It's still week 16, as we all expected, even though they have a two-game lead. If you go in there and you beat Miami – this gets very interesting going into week 17. If you go in there and you lose, which is very possible, the Dolphins are bad, and I do think the Bengals are better, but you could lose that game because, well, the Bengals have found a way to lose games. And plus, the report before that we shouldn't be counting out A.J. Green, this from uh, Ian Rappaport, I believe, should not count out A.J. Green for week 16 and 17. If that happens, Bengals are a, a much better offense, especially passing offense. So uh, I still kind of think, Let's lose this next one and let's kick our feet up for week 17 and go out there and fuck up the Browns because it won't matter, right? Let's let's lose this one and go into it feeling good about Joe Burrow, feeling good about having the number one pick, and then just destroying Cleveland's hope if they have any at that point. Yeah, the best case scenario is that the Bengals lose to Miami. They clinch that number one pick. Cleveland wins this week and next week, gets to eight and seven, and right. then the Bengals with Cleveland's fledgling playoff hopes alive, play spoiler, mm -hmm. the, the Browns finish 8-8 eight and eight because they're not allowed to have a winning season. Come on. And the Bengals get their quarterback anyway. And, and everybody wins except the Browns. And we don't care about the Browns on this podcast, do we, Joe? We do not care about the Browns. In fact, the only thing I care about is that they suck. So, yes. Uh, although that would be pretty cool also because I, I was thinking about that last night when uh, Burrow did win the Heisman that having three Heisman winning quarterbacks and hey, four RG three is the backup for the Ravens for maybe the foreseeable future. That's fun though. That, that gets a lot of excitement in terms of matchups and primetime games. I bet for the future of the AFC North. Uh, but yeah, for right now, you know, the Browns, man, if it comes on to week 17, I, that's my dream scenario. You get green back, maybe he looks healthy. Maybe he goes off 200 yards that game. Uh, that'd be awesome. You know, you, you just gave me a little bit of a brief, moment of fear when you said primetime games and then I then I thought to myself wait I don't have to worry about those anymore because it's not right. Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis anymore did you see right before half as the the Patriots call a timeout right as they should because they're the Patriots they're aggressive and they want to score before halftime and then like one incomplete pass for the Patriots and Zach Taylor's calling timeout on the next one right and I'm like okay Zach Taylor look at you trying to get the ball back even though your your passing offense has been terrible all year that those are the things I want to see I want to see him do that and 
talking about progress, I think everyone feels really good about this one in 13 team, especially for the second half of the, of the year, even though they've only won one of those games and they haven't scored more than what 13, they're averaging about 13 points a game. And that's in that stretch. You still, you see it in the first half when they're close with these teams that like so many of these guys are playing better. The scheme is better. They're getting guys open. They're getting the running game going. They really are just, you know, reaching, I think, or, or scratching the surface on maybe where potentially this, this team could go. It's a quarterback away in a lot of ways. The quarterback is the most impactful position on the field. PFF has talked a lot about this this week where like the, the quarterback's wins over replacement can be as much as three in an MVP season up to four, four and a half wins over replacement. And that's all one player out of 22. Now you, you put another quarterback on this team and if he's an MVP level, which I'm not saying Joe Burrow is right away, right? But if you take say Russell Wilson and you put him on this team this is easily a five-win team and and maybe a little bit better yeah it's hard to really isolate what what I I did a poll earlier this week Joe and I want to get your take on it quickly here before we wrap up I I said Dak Prescott in the situation that he becomes a free agent right George Iloka said on his podcast well what if Tom Brady goes to Dallas and, and Jerry says, you know what? I want to win one with Tom Brady. And then Dak, they don't want to pay Dak $30 million a year, whatever it's going to be. You could have Dak and Chase Young, or you could have Joe Burrow. Which mm-hmm. do you do? The hard part is that $30 million, right? Exactly. Because you see how teams really, it's very, very hard to build a team when you start to pay a veteran quarterback. Even yeah. Andy Dalton, who had a very, very friendly deal, right? $16 million or so a year they found it hard to keep no. some players that they probably should have kept. And this is a team that doesn't spend a lot, all, all the way to the cap. So when you see teams that pay quarterbacks even more, and or in this case it was the Bengals spending 30 on deck, I, I find it very hard to believe that this team would be equipped to overcome that type of contract. Yeah, the big thing is really the money, right? But there are yeah. a lot of people I think that voted for Burrow because they think Burrow is going to be better than Dak, which is maybe, maybe, maybe in a couple Dak, of years, right? But Dak is really, really good. good. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't think people really appreciate that the way that they should. But I think the money is a totally fair argument. This is probably, potentially, the last year that you can get a rookie quarterback on the current contract structure, which yep. $9 million a year, whatever it's going to be this year. Also noteworthy is the Chase Young TMZ thing, where he probably mostly tongue-in-cheek said, I'm going to come back to Ohio State. The only reason I could imagine he would do that Speaking of the CBA, is that there are rumors swirling that this new CBA that comes out is going to be very friendly to rookies, potentially. And if that is the case, and this is 100% speculation, I have no reason to believe this is true, maybe Chase Young goes back and he thinks, you know what, I'm going to get that rookie deal next year. Yeah, I thought about that too. And I figured he just said this because they're focused on hopefully two more games for them than they, you know, and afterwards he would make an announcement because I... While we're getting some announcements in, anyone who's still playing tries to hold that yeah. back as for as long yeah. as they can. And I still think if you're guaranteed a top three pick, and he he is, right? There's two guys that are in this draft already, and I think it's Burrow and, and Young. If you're guaranteed a top three pick, you come out no matter what. Or unless yeah. you really love college football and you hate money, it's it's too big of a risk. To, you can't improve your stock any more than no. Chase Young has at this point. No, there's no way. Anyway, that probably won't happen. It'll probably come out. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The Bengals in prime position to secure that number one overall pick with a two-game 
lead, which really is a one-game lead because if they tie with anybody, they lose that first overall pick. But as it stands, 1-13 for the Bengals, 3-11 for the Giants, 3-11 for Washington, 3-11 for Miami. And things are looking good as the season wraps up. Until next time, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.